No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World, question mark? <laughs> I'd struggle with how to do that what, intro. What is that on the horizon there? <laughs> right. What is that glow? Is that smoke? Is that fire? I'm, I'm sure if the, the 15 people that subscribed to this podcast feed saw this one float to the top, they thought it was a technical accident. <laughs> it's like, surely this one ended, right? Yeah, yeah. They they probably thought we were never coming back. We, yeah, uh, bets bets weren't on that we were going to do it, but we always said we would. And um, after a year of not being really truly fully in the building of Gaylord Hall mm-hmm. at the University of Oklahoma, right? Things are yeah happening, and things again. were just you know it was just there was way too much going on to continue our our. our a furious pace of podcast production. Yes. It, I, as, as Ralph and I were joking the other day, when you have a podcast called media and the end of the world, and then a global pandemic happens, the joke's not as funny. Right. Yeah. And, and we, we and prefer, it's kind, of, it's kind of our fault. Right. We set because, ourselves up. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and if we could, if we could change the podcast to media and the end of the pandemic. Yeah. Which would only be wishful thinking. You cover that, right? right? (laughs) And I've thought about this too. I mean, while we kind of discussed doing it, it really didn't become priority for us over the last year. And I think part of it was because it it wasn't, it it wasn't fun to talk about it, particularly at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say my lowest week happened uh, well, well, I don't know if I want to rank my, my weeks by lowest to highest, but one of my lowest weeks for sure was there was a week during the fall 2020 where we were, um, coming up on an election in the middle of a pandemic, trying to teach in person and a ice storm happened in Oklahoma in right. October. Yes. And that was one of the, the, the toughest times for me. Like this is not fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got a, a bunch of students without electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could cut the tension with butter as far as like where we were mm-hmm. in sort of the, I don't remember exactly where we were in the election cycle, but it was literally weeks away at the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, debates already happened. The president may or may have not already recovered from COVID himself, you know, wherever we were, it was just sort of a chaotic time. And the idea of trying to, because what we we try to do a lot on this podcast is, um, it's lighthearted, right? Mm -hmm. It's talking about things that we enjoy, but when we were living in a world where, um, and we still are not to say we're, we weren't, we're not now, but, uh, where the news wasn't necessarily a thing that we wanted to talk about. And the news was kind of one thing, right? The rest Mm -hmm. of the world paused media, as we knew it paused and that was a really interesting time to live through and still an interesting mm-hmm. time to, to sort of wrestle with. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely, I mean, yeah, as, as most people who are, who consume any other kind of media know, this was extremely disruptive for lots of reasons. There was a lot of production that shut down. 
Yeah. Um, or what were those things called? Oh, yeah, movie theaters. Yeah. There were movie theaters, and then they were gone, right? And the one of the most entertaining, and I use the word entertaining with scare quotes around it, but um, things to me was every time that they moved the release date of the James Bond film up, <laughs> it had these enormous ripples throughout the media industry. So, like, at one point there was, uh, they moved the James Bond release date up, and a chain of theaters in the UK is out of business. Ah. And it was like, it was like, cause and effect because so much, you know, the, that, that, it's one of the interesting things is as you develop a media system that has all of these like structural relationships that make them work and you, you know, pull out a couple of Jenga pieces and it begins to tip over yeah. right, and then collapse in some cases. Well, and we've seen this uh, similarly in higher ed. I don't think I realized the extent to which residential halls seem to play a big uh, piece of the revenue puzzle that is for higher education mm -hmm. institutions. And so there was such this um, immediate drive to try to get people to, you know, to move in, to have classes um, again with the air quotes, yeah. you know, uh, uh, in person, yeah. right. To whatever extent that that was actually possible over the last year. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it was the experience it was, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was also this enormous tension about, uh, and we're still, and again, none yeah. of these things are over, it's still going on, but the enormous tension about face-to-face -face schooling, um, because for, and, and you probably are more directly related to this than I am because my, my kids are older, but, um, you know, there were definitely disadvantages to kids not being in a face-to-face -face classroom situation in terms of intellectual and social development. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's the price that had to be paid, I believe, and, and I know there's arguments about this, but, you know, I believe for the sake of just basic physical safety, that had to happen. But it sure threw a lot of people into a really chaotic, so, and, and I'll, I'll be interested as, as we, as this generation gets older, um, when they were little kids and this happened to them, how they're going to make sense out of it. Yeah. So we were talking at the end of the school year to my youngest daughter's, uh, first grade teacher who was saying is at that, at that point in time around March, April, May, people who had kept their kids online had to started to send students, their students back to school. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people were starting to, to enroll again. And one of the things that they were mentioning was, you know, my first graders, which is what she was in last year, uh, that are coming in that have been online, uh, can't write. Mm -hmm. And they just haven't practiced penmanship because they've been doing everything via laptop or Chromebook or iPad or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, they had devices. And, um, I, I remember talking to a friend in college who had, who had grown up in an immersion uh, language program. And while she was very thankful that she was, you know, bilingual, uh, one of the things that she struggled with was like grammar in English. Cause it w just wasn't harped on as much when she was that, you know, th that age of development. And so, yeah, there are these, these skill sets that you imagine will, will linger with them um, for quite some time, if not forever. Uh, and that's really, uh, you know, and, and of course now we're in a school year where, it, 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 even though that they are not protected any more than they were. And we have a variant that spreads, uh, you know, more so, um, you know, there it's, it's, it's all it, virtually, well, 
Virtually, it's not the right adjective. Mostly in person. <laughs> That's okay. We've taken words like uh, virtually and actually, and we've made them. We use them all the time to mean the exact opposite. I, I literally don't know what that word means. Right. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah Most I, people don't even hedge with words like mostly anymore. Right. It's like, as a matter of fact, it's exactly this word. Yes. The, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's a really good point because, you know, in, in some of the work that I've done in the past, it's always interesting to try to think about why we have people learn what we have them learn at the time we have them learn yeah. it, right? So, for example, uh, you know, in the world out there, uh, and not to upset anybody's apple cart, but um, critical race theory is not taught at the kindergarten through eighth grade level. It's just not <laughs> part of it, you know. And so you can you can ask for them not to do it as much as you want. They're not going to not do it because they're not doing it. Yeah. It's not a thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the culture kind of thinks, you know, has decided the institutions, and again, think about these massive institutional structures, they've just decided that's not something they're going to do. But when we do things like think about when, you know, uh, when a little kid is supposed to be able to start reading and writing and the relation, this, and this goes back to the relationship between reading and writing skills versus listening and talking skills, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, why is it that we decide that at a particular age, they should do penmanship, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one of the main theorists of orality literacy, which is a whole way of looking at this historically, always thought that, you know, there was a really good chance we were trying to get people to read and write too young and that we could actually postpone it. And so their development as 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 um, intellects that could listen and talk could develop a little bit more. Um, so, you know, it's sort of like all of those and all of those things are things that you have to, you know, kind of keep readdressing as you're deciding, you know, particularly if you're benchmarking, you know, what, how development is supposed to work, um, at a particular point, it's just, it's very, very complex and, you know, and I have enormous trust in the professionals, the, the public school teachers and the administrators, um, who have had to work under enormously difficult circumstances to, you know, and it's, this is going to continue because now they've got to make up for all of yeah. that. Uh, but it may cause some rebenchmarking. It may cause some rethinking. I'm hoping it causes schools to be a little bit more, um, uh, a place where mental health services are a little bit more accessible um, because there's going to be ramifications. I, I know in, I don't know if you were experiencing all of this, but it was really weird and weird is the only term I can think of because I don't know to say whether it's good or bad. It was just yeah. really weird to be in these isolated bubbles and social spaces and to be sort of, you know, having these constant conversations about infection rates and things right. like that. Um, and it was so, yeah, I mean, when, when we, when we started this podcast and, and decided to do the, the end of the world talk, um, it, you know, it, it was just, okay, so what is the world now? The world's different now, yeah. right? And some of what we did to make things work over that time might stick around. Um, it might be better for us to have kind of rethought and rethought the, the structure of how things fit together. So, and of course, other parts of the media industry kept tumbling forward. So like this industry, the podcast industry that we're a part of is so different from what it was sure. when we last made a podcast. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm a big Conan O'Brien fan, you know, and, uh, he started the podcast. I don't know how long ago it was two and a half years, maybe. And it was called, it's still called, it still exists. It's called Conan needs a friend. And that was the, sort of the, you know, the shtick was that 
he was this interview. He was really just celebrity interviews, but he was always kind of posing it as like, I'm trying to find friends. Can, you know, will you, are you going to be my friend? And I'll ask you, you know, questions like, like, like I'm interviewing you for a position and <laughs> it evolved. It's, it's evolved into a pretty, you know, decent conversation every time that he has someone on to the point of which the Conan show doesn't exist anymore. Right. Mm, like, yeah. like the, it, it finally, um, you know, as much as he tried to, to struggle along with it, um, you know, he, he finally, he finally let it go. And I don't, I don't know the, the details of this, but I do know that if you listen to those early Conan needs a friend episodes, they're pretty awkward, mm-hmm. but then he kind of gets it, you know, over time, like he kind of figures it out. He's like, Oh, you know what? Like, this is way better than the, the six minute superficial conversations that I have with someone, you know, from my desk and them on a couch. Um, because we can, because it's a, it's a little bit, a little bit freer, uh, a little bit more Mm open-ended. It can go a lot of different places. Uh, there's not a publicist, you know, uh, right. Or a a bureau of standards that are like micromanaging what you're doing. (laughs) And so, yeah, I, I don't know to what extent it was the, uh, the networks finally saying, I think this is given its course or Conan finally saying, you know what? I think I found something that allows me, you know, the, the, the creative elements that I, I like from the television show, but I can finally sort of, sort of give that up. I, I think he, um, you know, after the failure of the tonight show really felt the need to continue to prove that he was good at his job and he could, you know, still, still bring some kind of ratings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say a thing, you know, in the, in the midst, in our, one of the things that's happened in our lengthy hiatus uh, was that I actually taught a podcasting class. Yeah. I think that was, yeah. Which was a, a phenomenal experience. Um, I had great students. I've two of the students podcast from that class have actually won awards that's awesome. Um, and, and, uh, hopefully I'm hoping at some point maybe to have them in so we can talk to them about their pro because both of their projects were really fascinating. Um, did you find that your students, I mean, I'm, there's a lot to dig into here, yeah. but they are, were they more interested in a specific style of podcast? Cause I will say the kind of podcast I listen to, I think are not your, um, if you were to sort of look at the, 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 the audience for what most people are listening to, it's more serialized mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit more produced where I'm mostly like news and, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff and uh, commentary. But what were they into? Well, I think, you know, it, I, I wish I could generalize about it, but it's really hard to do that because, That's good. you know, they're like, that. they are all over the place. One of the things we talked about, and this was what, what, what you're, what you were talking about was making me think about was that some podcasts are, um, you know, you can sort of like be half listening yeah. or listen to it without, you know, it's not like you have to follow every moment of it. They're not that demanding in terms of your your attention. And then there's other podcasts. And this particularly applies to a lot of very carefully produced fictional podcasts right. where if you're distracted, you're going to lose the, the, yes. the trail. Uh, the one we listened to was a podcast called Bronzeville, which was Larry Fishburne okay. was one of the producers and was in it. And it's I don't think it's very widely known. It's a very early podcast, but it was a, a narrative fiction podcast about uh, African-Americans migrating to Chicago um, in the early 20th century at the, when they were establishing the Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago. It's so well produced. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's basically that old kind of like very traditional sound effects, narration, character development, you know, audio. How, how do you, how do we distinguish that kind of podcast from 
what Audible gives, you know, with sort of audio books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because Audible, because there's a lot of innovation going and I can't say I'm really thoroughly, you know, I, I, I don't subscribe to Audible. So I hear, I get this mostly secondhand, Um, but there's certainly been a lot more effort put into producing. Yeah. Um, So they are, you know, but again, these are all, they sound really like what radio sounded like in the, in the forties and fifties, right? They have, they're using a lot of the same, the, the quality is obviously, you know, tons better and everything like that. But, but there's all of these influences historically that are going into those like constructed fictional podcasts. Um, so there were some students who did that, yeah. who did some variation on that. There were some who were doing just casual conversations, yeah. kind of like what we do here about very fairly specific parts of life. Um, there were two that were about basically online gaming that were huh. either um, – Either documenting adventures, right? So they were actually doing audio recordings of people participating in an adventure or talking about that world. Um, and and then there were some some nonfiction ones that were, you know, the, the two that won awards were both nonfiction podcasts and they were, you know, they were really interesting topics. They were produced with an, you know, with an ear toward journalism, an ear toward serial, which, you know, I, having, having done the research to put the class together, it's amazing what the first season of podcast of, of the serial podcast did yeah. to kind of change the whole game. Yeah. They put it on the map. Yeah. And and so a lot of what's and there's still these clear divisions. Some people can't listen to podcasts, yeah. right? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, they can't stop doing stuff enough to listen to things that require their yeah. attention. So here's how my podcast consumptions have changed. Okay, I am now listening to everything at minimum one point five <laughs> speed. <laughs> If you talk really slow, I might bump it up to one point seven five. Right, and I will tell you that. When you listen to stuff that fast, you just consume a lot more. It's like, you know, like, right. like it's like, uh, when you're eating super fast, you can, you can eat a lot more before you realize you're full, <laughs> which isn't good for you. So I'll, right. I'll listen in a month to mm-hmm. like, you know, two days worth of podcasts, but I'll do it in yeah. a 24 hours amount of time or something like that. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty healthy dose now. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I, I do the same thing in some circumstances. It's sort of dependent on the technology I've access to at the moment. Um, I, you know, I have these running battles with, uh, I, I use Alexa cause I'm that stupid, but, um, I've tried to ask Alexa to play it faster and I still can't figure <laughs> out how to get Alexa to do that. It, it just gets very confused. And, you know, I, I, and you know, so I have these running arguments, Hey, Alexa, skip ahead three minutes. <laughs> And then ding, and then nothing. Right? Someone's just, so angry at you for saying that into the microphone. Because you usually say that as you're skipping their ads, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I think I, I've done the same thing. Listening to things um, faster because we can certainly perceive them fast like that. But you really wouldn't want to do that with some of these sort of like more complex Correct. fictional podcasts. And because, they have like music in yeah. the background. I mean, that stuff doesn't work mm-hmm. as well if it's, if you're listening to it at a higher speed. Right. But, and I think this is, I think this is normal. And I think it's something to think about for a production side. Yeah. How, how does someone, um, I, I, I'd love to know what the stats are, you know, that yeah. says 80% of people listen to something faster than your speed. Right. And that makes you think about, if it's a conversational podcast, what speed do I talk at? Assuming that right. they're going to speed it up. Well, we could, I mean, we could take this thing we're recording right now and just put it up on the web at a faster speed. There you right? go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then say, tell no, people, you have slow to listen it down. To it slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get them to interact with that. But the other, the other thing that's happened over, over this time, of course, too, is that the, the whole, 
if you think of podcasts as sort of like a chunk of culture, it's become much more heavily corporatized. Yes. Um, and there's a lot more money at stake. And it's much, in, in many ways, much more integrated with the rest of the media environment, which is, to me, it's 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 great because it's still an amazing pod, an amazing storytelling environment. Um, whether those are nonfiction or fictional stories or conversations or yeah. Conan or you know whatever it is that you're that you're listening to what you're listening for, um, which is really great. Um, there's a lot more investment in it. Um, there, there are these notions of exclusives that particular yeah. companies, the only distributors like Spotify and, right. and that man whose name I don't need to say. I feel uh, like it's more. Um uh, talent focused, meaning that there are now companies that they're just going to say, Oh no, no, you're, you're going to be the hook that brings people in right. as the, the, you know, uh, influencer, micro influencer, or whatever you are, you have an audience. Mm -hmm. We have a team of researchers, uh, someone who books guests, that, that kind of thing. All you have to do, we're going to ship you the microphone and laptop, you know, you flip it open and be more funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we will edit it for you yes. and monetize it mm -hmm. and cut you a check for it. You know, like you are just the, you know, you're, you're here. And, and those, um, I, I don't know to what extent those are successful. I tend to think that those seem to not last as long, yeah. you know, because it's not, you know, it's someone just kind of being hired as like a, a part-time celebrity host mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else. But it feels like I'm, I'm seeing more of that happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, the, one of the things that, you know, that, that I love about, the kind of social media environment that includes podcasting in addition to the convenience of, you know, the, when you want, where you want is the, is the fact that again, the entrance bar is so low. Yeah. So that means there's, there are, uh, there are podcasts that aren't, to me, very good or interesting, whatever that means, which is something that I would never choose to listen to. But it's also a lot for the opportunity for people to do things that are their labors of love. They're not getting any money for it. They're, you know, uh, doing it on the side. And, and so the passion is driving them and it's finding an audience and the yeah. audience doesn't have to be that big as you as the economic scale becomes more, you know, I want to do this for a living, then you've got to figure out a way to monetize is the term that are used. How do you monetize a podcast? Um, which, you know, which then might incorporate having to do other things to try to attract a larger audience that then you can either collect subscriptions or, or have Patreon or, you know, Patreon or, yeah, or, yeah, or exclusive like content. That. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And that's, it's wild to kind of see the, the amount of that kind of stuff that's happening. I mean, really when you're talking about a, a, a podcast, you're talking, Talking about a hub to a spoke of a network, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is like it is that centerpiece in which some group of people, whether they may or may not know each other exist, are listening to the same the same media. They have that shared experience. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it feels like the, the, you know, the best monetization strategies happen when you try to figure out, well, how do I allow that audience to sort of gather itself? Right. right? Yeah. Whether that's through, uh, saying we're going to have a, um, uh, you know, a private chat place where, where you all can talk, you know, or, mm -hmm. um, we're going to have monthly zoom calls, you know, for right. certain levels of members, whatever it is. Or, or sort of at the, uh, at sort of the most elaborate level, you know, you've got people who are doing, tours right? yeah. and, and recording the podcast performance yeah. live. Uh, I, Speaking you know, of, are you going to the, the last house on the left live performance <laughs> in Oklahoma city? I, I don't think so. Last podcast on the last left? podcast on the left. <laughs> that's I'm okay. sorry. Well, that's where they stole. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't, I don't have any plan. I should, 
it would be good for me. I, well, well, but, it, it makes me think because you do you listen to that podcast regularly? I, uh, I what what happens is like I'll let some accumulate and then I'll blast through okay. a bunch of them, and so I haven't recently. So you wouldn't consider yourself like a super fan of that? No, okay, no. okay. I don't think I. You know, I mean, super fan. Right. Is a weird thing. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, it's because it's all that's where it taps into our media habits, which right. are, is another question entirely. But anyway, it just yeah. makes me think of what podcast would it have to be for Ralph to want to like go to a live <laughs> show of it? Uh, that's well, that's interesting because that ties into the celebrity thing you were just yes. mentioning in a way. Um um, because I, you know, that makes me, and I hate to do this, but I mean, it makes me think about things like Spalding Gray's live performances yeah. where it'd be just him at a desk doing a thing. Right. right. Or Joe Frank. I don't know if we've ever talked about Joe Frank. Um, there, I would have gone to see him. He was doing these. And again, this is where a lot of podcasting comes from radio. Joe Frank, he, he did a show called Joe Frank work in progress and it was carried on public radio in a lot of places. And he was a writer and he came up with these amazing elaborate, um, narratives that he would tell. Um, and if you poke around online, if you're interested, it's, it's good to find some of his stuff. It's worth listening to. Um, I think there is a place where you can go actually buy a lot of episodes, you know, that's their way of monetizing. And I think he passed, I think I should be careful about this. I think he passed away a few years ago, but he was really amazing. My favorite was he did a show once that was, it was an hour and 20 minute long show about why he didn't have a show ready. So this involved him telling this elaborate story about his girlfriend's cat that got sick and he had to do, and it was, you know, it was clearly, you know, he didn't, this is why there is no show. And he would do that. There'd be a little musical cue and then he'd go into the next part of it. And so it was sort of like pre podcast, but definitely, you know, anticipating what this form was going to be able to do in the hands of somebody. So, if I was going to go see someone live, I would want to go see someone live who was like a spontaneous, inspirational creator okay. of that. What about you? Well, well, uh, well, I was thinking about because I think that there that there have been some NPR hosted shows that have happened. Like, wait, wait, don't tell me like in Oklahoma City, which is a show that is uh, a recording of a live show anyways. Right. So that the premise of the show is that you're listening to it um, or the, uh, the what's the debate show that, that they play on the weekends. Um, uh, left, right, center. No, that's not the one. Um, oh man. I need to. I know what you mean. Cause doing those things as kind of like, you know, recorded live performances. Although, um, although a couple of them of course had to get away from the live performances during right. COVID. So it was interesting to see how they, you know, manage that kind of reconstruction of what they were doing. Intelligence squared. Oh, intelligence squared. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was thinking of. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, these are like sort of live shows. So that would be something that I would be really interested yeah. in, in, in possibly seeing like, but, but I'm not the kind of person really who like, who's the comic con goer, you know, right. like I'm, I'm not as interested in hanging out with the community in way other, but there are people that that's, you know, they, they love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, I like tattoos, but I am not the kind of guy who goes to a tattoo convention, you know? Um, I like guitars, but I'm not going to the guitar show right, yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That is a big one around here. Like, like that's, that, I just, I'm not as interested in that kind of stuff. So I, but I am curious about, 
you know, what, what people are yeah. interested in. I think in there's, yeah, I mean, I think there's different kinds of pursuits and hobbies where, you know, that kind of association is really important to, yeah. to sort of like identifying with the community and developing your identity. I twice went to these popular, I, cause I do presentations of stuff at the popular culture association. It's a great yeah. organization of people talking about popular culture. And twice I've been at conferences where the, either there was an overlap or directly following this conference, there was some kind of a um, a, a, a conference of younger people that led them all to get dressed up like by with anime characters or something like that. Mm. And so it'd be like, you know, be sort of like be hanging out with a bunch of these kind of, you know, rumpled academics. And all of a sudden the hallways in the hotel are being filled with people dressed like characters from anime, half of which I didn't even recognize. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's different. Cause that's yeah. like a theme party with your friends, right? right? <laughs> like, like, like that, that, that's fine yeah. with me. Uh, it's that we want to gather, right. You know, just for the fact, that yeah. we like to be part of this community that just, I don't know, man, right. it's too cool for that kind of stuff. Well, maybe, but you it's know, a I mean, I the, the other thing is you take, you know, I mean, we think of cosplay as being a specific mode of dress, but we all do cosplay. Oh yeah, totally. We're all dressed to fit into some kind of, you know, you, you and I and people here do like, you know, the casual academic right. look. There's other places where they do the more formal academic look. Um, but it's always, you know, making yourself fit into whatever, whatever the culture it is that you want to identify with and belong to. Um, that's an important part of it. And I, and I can't say that I pay to come to work. <laughs> I've gone out of my way. Yeah, these conferences are not cheap. These are not. These are not things they have that you to can pay me to dress like right. this. Actually, the the live events and things like last podcast on left are not cheap. Yeah, they're, I didn't look at ticket prices. They, they do I, things I can't like, imagine they're cheap. They, they do like VIP passes yeah. where they do like I don't know funky weird stuff. Oh, and and sure, I'm sure there's and, like an after party that you can buy tickets yeah, to and, and merch. Yeah, lots of merch. Lots of upselling. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And it's a pretty big uh, venue. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. probably. 800 to thousand mm-hmm. person room that they're yeah. going to be doing. So that's, it's pretty impressive. And it's not, it's not an, uh, it's not a theater. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, this yeah. is like a box of an auditorium that they're using to do a podcast. Yeah. Well, they've done, you know, I, I remember they did do a live version of uh, science Friday. I think okay. uh, uh, here uh, a few years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which, which uh, again, like there's a couple of shows like science Friday and especially radio lab. I think radio lab is genius. And again, it was something that um, when I was doing this class and talking about the history of getting from, because as I, and the more I was digging into it, the more it required understanding how radio became podcasting, you know, radio splitting off in a bunch of different directions, you know, for lots of reasons. And of course, was really economical in a lot of ways to have a a radio station that would play music and only have one guy sitting there, you know, as opposed to producing something that was either live with a big cast or something like that. But, you know, but there were these roots in, in, in things like Radio Lab, these things that were radio shows that where the podcasting world was just kind of built for them to find other ways to distribute the material that they were doing and radio lab especially which is kind of the opposite of the live performances because some of the productions of some of the episodes was so elaborate and so careful and and so worth listening to because of the way that they were um, teaching the audience how to think about things through sound um, and storytelling that was really compelling my favorite was an episode that was and it's a fairly i think it's from 2007 or something like that and it was an episode where they were trying to explain uh, a particular history of um uh, of the way that people were being treated 
for um, uh, for for a gland measurement. They had um, so they had these these gland measurements, and what they were doing, and this was in the I think it was in the fifties. They started treating the patients who had these gland these underdeveloped glands with radiation, and the result was cancer. They gave a lot of people cancer. And then as it turned, and I'm ruining the episode a little bit, but at the end of the episode, what you find out is that they were actually basing their perception of normal on a set of data that was based on poor people. And poor people had this as a, it was a function of malnutrition and high stress that they had this abnormality. So, so they took that set of data and forgot that it was a measure that was actually depicting abnormality, thought it was normal, and then tried to apply it to a contemporary population that wasn't suffering from malnutrition and high stress. And it was just a, it was just kind of a, a disaster. Um, and so of course the, the episode uses lots of different um, sound environments to talk about these different historical periods. Yeah. It's just a really, really well executed show. My, my favorite radio lab ep- episode was actually I was driving I was I think one late, late night driving to campus I must have been like studying grad school or something like that but um it was uh the same there was a story of making a murderer from Netflix of Stephen Avery uh-huh. and they had done an episode on him now they didn't tell I mean they told a, a brilliant story and I was like this is the like after listening to the episode I was like this is the most insane story I've ever heard just like the twists and turns and mm-hmm. the guilties not guilties and re-guilties and all that kind of stuff um and um and then you know I, I want to say it was three or four years later the Netflix documentary comes out and I'm like I've heard this and I'm like trying to f- find it in my brain like what you know like this story is familiar uh-huh. and then uh having to put the visuals to the you know the radio show that I had heard before so mm-hmm. yeah I you know I've, I've got great respect for what Radio Lab and This American Life and, mm-hmm. and those kind of programs do which right. which have their own kind of feel to them right. as well so and This American Life being the birthplace of serial so, right. Because that's so that's yeah, that's interesting too. I think the other thing culturally that I find really interesting is how we think about listening because, you know, uh, podcasting is, again, it's a question. It works because of the convenience. Um, you can listen to it where you want, when you want, um, with headphones. At or in the car speed. at whatever whatever speed, right? With whatever other kind of noise. Yeah. Um, a lot of the uh, when I was talking to students about how they listened, a lot of them would talk about well, there are some podcasts where they have to be doing something. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's all of those contexts, and and we're just I I think our culture is not really good at thinking about listening or trying to focus on listening because we're so used to having. You know, everything happened at once. We get conventionally used to the way sound works in films and television and things like that. And and focusing on listening is just – it's a discipline. It's hard to do. But, um, I mean, we all kind of do it a little bit when we are maybe trying to figure out – you know, we hear a piece of music that is, just blows us away. And so you spend so much time listening to it, trying to figure out how it works and what is it about it that engages you if, if you decide to pursue it that way. Um, but with some of these podcasts, I think it's worth doing that too. Sometimes it requires listening to it again. We're not a culture that's also really good right. at doing things over and over again, unless you're like eight, you know, yeah. and then you, you know, you've got your film that you watch uh, over and over again. That is, I was going to say my, uh, my seven year old, listens to a podcast every night and it's a bedtime story podcast uh-huh. and uh it's the, the podcast is called little stories for tiny people <laughs> and uh the host's name is ray 
and she writes these stories in which she then reads and she puts out, only puts out like one a month, you uh-huh. know, but she's how been, long are they? Uh, about 20 minutes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but she's been doing it for maybe four or five years now. And so mm-hmm. there's a pretty good, uh, Rolodex of, 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 of episodes that she can listen to. But my daughter prefers a specific character, uh, named little hedgehog. And she only wants to listen to little hedgehog episodes, which gives, gives us about, you know, six or seven that we can pick from. And that's all that she listens to. But for her, you know, the, the, um, the, the reason is that that, that it calms her down, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's familiar to yes, her. Yeah. It puts her at ease as she's sort of going to sleep. And mm-hmm. so that's what she wants. But, you know, she listens to those on her Alexa, you know, every night is, is daddy yeah. keep it on the podcast. Yeah. So. That's, there is a, that, and that's one of the things, you know, again, that I've talked about in classes and stuff before, which is the comfort of a narrative that, you know, yeah, and that you're experiencing it again, because you're not trying to necessarily pick it apart or understand it or critically analyze it or anything you just want to go through that roller coaster ride again right because it it's enjoyable it feels good you you know you know what's going to happen um it's how we end up kind of like in genres because we kind of know mostly what's going to happen but it's the little surprises that make them well but there may be that individual thing we used to <clears throat> i had a friend and we used to and this is going to sound like kind of what stupid ex-film students do but we had we the, the sam peckinpah film the wild bunch we would just every year we would get together and watch that film again and and there's a lot of reasons to like go ill but um but it's you know it's a pretty big deal western of its time but it was just that you know being in that environment again and that's you know where people who you know have seen star wars hundreds of times or go to things like you know back when it was a big deal the midnight rocky horror experience being in that environment again which is obviously much more elaborate when you're throwing things at the screen and and you have cues yeah (laughs) i think we've had this conversation at least i imagine it in my head that we've talked about Specific movies that we watch on specific mm-hmm. holidays, yeah. you know, that it is it's sort of like something that, that brings you together. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, eventually, probably, I'd say um, maybe in about three and a half months, we'll talk about Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh. Because it's a thing. It's, oh, it's a thing in <laughs> it's my It's a house. massive thing. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I might it's, be, I might, I might have a roommate who she... <laughs> subscribes to the Hallmark channel, you yeah. know, uh, for a very short amount of time and, <laughs> and watches them and gets rid of it. Well, you can't do it for that short because they do produce like a hundred. Don't, no, 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 don't, don't give it away. Don't give it away. <laughs> yeah. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. And then of course we'll have our, our Halloween specials, which is for me, the most important holiday of the year. We'll get to that in a little bit. I think season four of stranger things is finally coming out. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we'll Yvette might that. have to yeah. come, come back and mm-hmm. this, by the way, Yvette, Walker is podcast superstar herself. She is, yes. And she's been on our podcast a couple of times before. We will have her back too. Yeah. Cuz she is she's a been thing. winning her own podcast awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 I would love to talk to her about cuz her format's really unique too. Um mm-hmm. you know, very specific to uh certain topics and also very short, you know, kind mm-hmm. of producing 10 to 15 minute podcasts which we, we Lord knows we could never do. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, other things, I mean, on our on, on the big wall of, of uh, post-it notes where we've written down things we're going to talk about in the future, which I should point out doesn't exist. But, <laughs> um, but if there were such a thing, um, I know that a couple of things that, that uh, Adam and I have talked about, uh, we have to talk about Jeopardy. Yes. Um, we want, do- well, let's hit that real quick. Okay. Let's do it. All right. What, what, what are your thoughts? What are, my thoughts are 
Jeez. I know. <laughs> what right? a car accident. It's, it's, it's so sad. Um, you know, Jeopardy is such an institution. Uh-huh. Uh, replacing Alex Trebek is already an incredibly difficult job. Um, the, uh, you know, the producer, Mike Richards, I think his name, basically rigged an entire uh, selection process, you know, it basically to give one of those standard, like I looked up and down and everywhere and, and the best person I could find yeah. for the job was me. It was the old Cheney routine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Yes. I was like, I was like, who's, who said this? It's Chady. Um, you know, uh, Ken Jennings didn't get it, uh, for similar reasons. Uh, although I still think there's an outside shot maybe. Um, and I, I still think he's, you know, if you're placing bets, uh, you might still put him Ken Jennings way, but it's, you know, it's, it's just, I'm still, that, I'm still pulling for LeVar. Yeah. And I think LeVar Burton would do great. And the world, that's what yeah. the world wants. Yeah. I, I, that's why it's like an incomprehensible car wreck to me. But it, don't you think that it, it can't recover now? So, so I had, I had this thought when, um, uh, uh, what, oh my gosh, who was the host of Price is Right for ever? Bob Barker. Bob Barker. When yeah. Bob Barker stepped down, it was like, there's no way this show will exist because this is a show that already like part of its shtick is it's stuck in time, right? Like it's always going to be the seventies and we're always going to have like the, you know, the, the, the same aesthetic to it of orange and yellows and, and blinking lights and stuff like that. And then, um, it somehow, somehow it would it manage to make the transition. Like mm-hmm. it's still, it's still feeding, but I just, I can't imagine that Jeopardy can pick itself up from this. I, well, I think it can. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's a lot of the pressure that's going on regarding COVID responses and and how we're putting culture back together. It's like, uh, like a desire for what existed before. So anything, anything that's happening in this COVID period has this really weird, you know, it's new, it's different. Do we want to keep it or do we, or do we miss what we did before? I mean, I miss going to movie theaters and seeing movies. Yeah, It's just, you know, and, and eventually, hopefully if things improve, um, you know, I think I've only gone to the theater to see a movie once and, you know, obviously the ramifications for the industry are big and everything like that. But so I'd be a little more hopeful that because Jeopardy has been around for so long <laughs> and, and, you know, for as much as it's changed the host and the feel and the look and everything, it's so much of it's exactly the same as it's always been that it's going to have a place. Yeah. And if, well, if, if they don't taint it, right. If they don't make it unwatchable because, you know, the, the host has a history of doing something terrible. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I don't even know. I think it, it's, it's just been so dramatic. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of you've, you've got two things of which you need to do is which one you need to attract back your former audience. Right. Uh, and then eventually those drop off and you've got to replace them with new people too. Mm-hmm. And I think just even getting like the real diehards that have been watching Jeopardy daily forever, you know, are they, are they willing to give anyone a break? Are they kind of over it? Are they tired? Have, uh, to your point, have they replaced it with something else? Right. You know, um, these are questions that I, I think we don't, we don't know at the moment. So. Well, I, you know, I, I have never, for one reason or another, uh, have never subscribed to or watched the game show channel. Oh yeah. Which is a thing. Yeah. And I, you know, it was one of those things that was sort of like, well, I've got all this other stuff too. Well, so there's a restaurant in Oklahoma city called the press, which is great. It's a great restaurant. If you're, if you're a vegan and you like, like, uh, you know, home cooked kind of tasting food. And I'll say this because I think it's a, it's a great place. The staff are great and everything like that. And the last two times I've gone there, they have the game show channel up on the TVs on one wall. And on those TVs, I've seen, you know, episodes of game shows that I watched 
when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and it is so interesting to, again, be inside that world where there was a certain kind of fashion sense. Yeah. A certain set of celebrities that were yes. kind of almost celebrities just because they were on game shows. Right. Charles Nelson Riley, yeah. for example, yeah. who was eternally, you know, uh, uh, in, in the game show world. Um, and it was just, it, it was just interesting. So I think that nostalgia thing is, is a big factor yeah. in a lot of ways. Game shows are such a weird, we'll talk about that more too. Cause that's your, that's your, Metier, as they say. That's right. The, the world that is of significance to you. Yeah. So. yeah we, got, we got a lot to catch up on. We do. I, in fact, Caulfield and I have been talking about um, uh, maybe doing something about this. The circle's coming back for its its new season. Ah, and I might, awesome. I might have them roped in for yeah, you yeah. know a full podcast. To go. Oh, that the would circle, be excellent. So. Cause I was, I actually had a, a, a Caulfield gesture I wanted to do today, but we'll do that in the future All too. Right, sounds good. Because there's uh, yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot to catch up on and talk about. So, all right. I think we've hit our time limit. Yep. Good to catch up. Yes. Good, to, good, good to, uh, dust off the happy, old microphones yes. and get the happy soundboard to have ready. Gotten the horses out of the barn. We'll do this and again. Find out that they can still run. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time. 